You're listening to the Elder Llama Podcast, the show that inspires curious minds to ponder the secrets of the universe. My name is Erica Mezqua. I'm a UCLA undergrad STEM major, and in this podcast, I combine my knowledge of astrophysics, evolutionary biology, and the nature of the human mind to make cohesive observations about the world. All right, welcome to the podcast. I'm here with Sandra. What's your last name? Sandra Karen. So I met Sandra, I think, maybe a few days ago here on Jan Steps at UCLA. Uh, we had a really nice conversation about physics and philosophy and Buddhism and mind. And it just kind of turned into one of those conversations where it's like a stranger, but it's, you know, a deep connection. So I was like, Sandra, you should be on my podcast. I want to interview you uh, and kind of get your perspective as a uh, physics major here at UCLA. So I think we're going to get into things like, you know, the origin of consciousness. Maybe we already talked about that before we went live here. Uh, maybe we'll talk about what it's like to be a physics major at UCLA. And let's, we'll see where else this conversation takes us. But uh, just to start, tell us a little bit about yourself. You can tell us like your major, your age, uh, your name, and what's going on for you right now at UCLA. Sure. So my name is Sandra. I'm a physics major. Um, a little bit about, I guess, how I became a physics major. That was definitely not my intention initially. Um, I'm definitely not a STEM person at heart. I am way more at home, I think, in the humanities. And if there's something I'm like naturally good at, it's probably speaking and writing. Math was actually always my worst subject. Um, I was decent at it, but there were people who were a lot better. Um, I decided that I wanted to go into physics because... I thought that ultimately I want I did want to do something um, in STEM and I thought that physics just provides like the broadest base to launch from you know you can kind of move into chemistry into biology if you have a good understanding of physics and I did try um, biochem when I first came to UCLA I tried chemistry um, I was considering just noping out of South, South Campus and maybe doing philosophy but um, through some really, really good professors. I was inspired to do physics, and so I'm here today doing that. And as for my perspective, I mean, what can I say? It's like, I think it's a, it's a really, really fun major that like requires a lot of work and at the same time is really abstract. So like, it's definitely for people who, you know, really are continually asking why. I guess. And uh, like about the most basic things, uh, continually asking like, like we're sitting on grass and the grass is green and why is it green? That th Those kinds of things physics will answer for you. Um, so it, it's interesting because it's like really abstract, but it also answers like the most basic questions that you have as a kid. Like, why is the sky blue? Why is grass green? Like physics can tell you that. And that's what I like about it. Yeah. Beautiful. And then you mentioned philosophy, like as you keep asking why, eventually you break past that that last door and you leave the science department you go back to the philosophy department yes so you mentioned that like there was kind of a paradigm shift you had like like a, a few professors really impacted you and made you change course can you tell talk about that like what you came in here with a certain perspective like uh, of what you wanted and what insight was it that they provided to you that told you like okay physics is where i want to be yeah, that's a really good question. So um, it actually doesn't have um, 
we were kind of talking about this before we went live. Um, it has more to do with the fact that I, through some really good teachers, um, started understanding the math and started like really falling in love with kind of the language of physics, like we were saying, which is math. And yeah, I think, I think that I was inspired more by like the structure kind of behind the scenes than the actual concepts, if that makes sense. And, um, I think a lot of times, you know, when somebody's looking from the outside and they're thinking about like cool physics concepts, like you were saying, like the multiverse or, um, what happened before the big bang and things like that. And that stuff is interesting to me, but the really, really interesting parts of physics are when you're like deriving something for an hour and then you like get an answer that works and it's just like beautiful and it makes sense. And, and that's what I, that, that, that's more of the thing that like literally grabs my heart, makes me go, Oh my God, this is so cool. Um, and yeah, and so with, like with the professors, they just, I, I think just like I had some like really good teachers and professors who sh- like just made me good at math and be- being good at math made me love physics rather than the other way around. <laughs> I see good. Yeah, it, it does seem that physics is the bedrock of everything. And of course, math is even below yeah. physics. And it, it just begs the question, like, why, why is it that math describes the universe so perfectly? Like... That that's like that's something we just we don't know, you know. We have good answers to like how does nature work, but we we have no idea why it works the way it does. So, you, it seems like you're, you're interested in in the math and the language of math. And I think earlier, you know, before we went live, I was like, I have a good understanding of, of some physics concepts because I've you know I've learned a lot about it, but. I think you being in like the really, really deep in the math world, you have a perspective on like math being this bedrock reality that I just can't even fathom. So what what comes up for you when we talk about math as like the fundamental structure of everything? Oh man. Um, I don't know if this is an answer to your question, but it's a thought I had. Um, I think that... You know, math is kind of cool because it's, in some ways, it's like really intuitive. Like one plus one is equal to two. Um, first thing you learn, it's it's in a lot of ways like really provable. But at the same time, um, there is like on a deeper level, like we don't understand why there even are numbers. And let me explain what I mean by that. Like, so we we're able to like manipulate these these things these concepts that we've come up with called numbers but why why is it that the universe in the first place um was created in in such a way that you can count things and like this is really really like abstract and and some people might say well like obviously you know that that's just how it is um but why why is there more than one thing um in the universe and what i mean by that is like why why is there um like why why is the universe created in such a way that um math is what defines it and and even just like numbers is is what define it um and we don't have an answer to that i don't and i I don't know if we ever will it's it's kind of like like in in physics also there is um you know, like there's this idea of charge. It has to do with like electricity and magnetism. So you have like a charged particle and we can like really 
accurately describe how they interact, how they behave, you know, how they come into existence and uh, run into each other and create new particles and things like that. There is absolutely no reason for why the universe has decided to fill itself with charged particles. So, and it's kind of the same thing, yeah, with, with math. Like, we, we understand the system, but exactly like you were saying, the why, who knows? Yes, it seems like at the bottom, like if, if we try to trace things back to the root, you know, like ask why, 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 at the bottom, things just start to break down and, and we don't know why. Like, just like you said, those, those charged particles, you know, on this scale, like we're pretty good at, uh, we have pretty good models that describe the way these particles behave. Yeah. And as such, we can manipulate them, but we have no idea why they actually exist in the first place. And if I'm not mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, is that also our current understanding of matter? Like, we, we, we understand matter on this scale, like, you know, we, we understand on the scale of atoms, but if we ask, like, what is below atoms? Like, what are atoms made out of? They're made of smaller particles. And if we ask, like, what are those made out of? Then it's at the bottom, it's just, like, what is it? What, what is down there? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, nobody knows. I mean, there's, like, so there's, like, have you heard of string theory? Okay, right. So so that's that's, okay, this is actually a perfect example of something that is purely based in math because string theory came from a bunch of physicists continually like deriving um, like more and more equations and representations and models to the point where they created a system which I think has like 13 or 16 dimensions like it has an insane amount of like spatial dimensions and then suddenly like these famous Einstein equations popped out of the math it's kind of like I I was saying before like where you're driving 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 and then like you suddenly reach a point where you're like oh this is actually a basic property that we know of and so that's that's like string theory it it just came from people kind of playing around with the math and then they actually found something that um you know they didn't necessarily prove that it's true, but they found like a correlation with things that we know to be true. And so, um, yeah, that's where, that's where string theory came from. What was the original question? <laughs> I don't know. You're doing great though. Okay. We were talking about like the, the you know, what is below matter? Right. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, I was saying like, yeah, so string theory is, is one of these things, but I, at the same time, it doesn't answer why it's just like another, um, Iteration, Like, you know, it's just, it, have you ever heard of like, it's turtles are all the way down? Have yes. you ever heard that saying? Yeah, it's turtles all the way down. There's no what answer. Oh, um, isn't that, where, does that come from Terry Pratchett? Or, I don't know. No? Okay. But it's, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like some, some like philosopher or somebody was arguing like the, um, earth is a flat disc on the back of a turtle and then some smart ass was like yeah but what is the turtle standing on and the guy's like another turtle what is that turtle standing on and he's like turtles all the way down yes. and that's the case here yes that is so wacky you, you touch on something that, that i find so mind-boggling and it is that at one point we are blind at one point we can no longer directly observe and the only source of light if you would, that we have is mathematics. And so at at the scale, the scale of string theory, like this is all us playing with, with mathematics. And it's not so much that we, we observe the thing directly, but through our understanding of reality and through our understanding of mathematics and what is true, we make inferences. Okay. So 
can you touch a little bit on what what string theory is um i i i think my, my knowledge is rudimentary like it's like um matter fundamentally is not actually like hard particles it's like below that it's just these these vibrating strings that uh, are some part of like this 13 dimensional structure or something like that but uh your third year ucla studying physics if i you just told me that you just left the quantum physics midterm so i think you're the most qualified person here to talk about it or at least like on this in this field um what is with string theory in uh, for dummies all right um it's going to be for dummies by a dummy. So okay, I'm, I'm not well-versed in this at all. Um, this is like graduate level stuff. But so what you said is correct um, in terms of the fact that matter isn't, we, we like to think of matter as these atoms, which a lot of times people visualize as just like little, little balls that stick together. And, and we, we, we have this like concept that they're these spherical objects, which they're not at all. Um, First of all, any particle, if you really look at it at a, a very small scale, is also a wave. There's such a thing called wave-particle duality. Um, you, as, as a person, technically also have a wavelength. You um, are extremely massive compared to an atom, so your wavelength is going to be very, very small, but you can calculate the wavelength of, of any amount of, of matter. Um, and basically what that means, that's not going to like... I think makes sense right off the bat. The only thing that I need to know is that um, particles are particles in, in the sense that they're like localized, but they're also like vibrating strings basically everywhere in space. String theory is basically that um, times 10 taken to the extreme with a lot more math that I am not familiar with. Um, but the, the concept is still kind of the same as trying to describe the universe in terms of oscillations waves things that are vibrating rather than things that are localized and by localized in physics we just mean um up at a point like they're they're a particle um but a wave is something that's spread out through space and is changing with time hopefully that makes no that i mean it, it makes sense you know like the concepts we're talking about are so complex that most of it falls through my my porous brain but something stick and so what I really got is like particles are not like these these balls. They're more waves, right? They're more delocalized uh, energy. So what he's talking about at the bottom, we see that th these are all uh, waves. Is this, are these waves like part of a bigger wave or, or are they like their own waves? Ooh, that's, a, ugh, that's a really good question. Like is there only one wave? Um, well, there is a field. I mean, there, there is such a thing as like an electric field, a magnetic field, a gravitational field. That's not necessarily a wave, but there is a field that permeates all of space and the entire um, universe, basically. So like, and what I mean by field is like every single point in space has like a number assigned to it for what the electric field is at that point, what the magnetic field is, what the gravitational field is. So you can like... And that's everywhere in space. That's what we mean by field. The waves themselves, I'm going to say no. Like, there's no such thing as one big wave that all the other waves belong to. But there is such a thing as um, uh, this idea that a particle 
is, I'm gonna, okay, I'm going to try to make this as simple as possible. A particle is what we call a superposition of waves. So it's a bunch of waves all on top of each other, and they're all existing together at the same time, and that's what a particle is. But when we observe the particle, and by that I mean, like, the only way we can observe it is by, like, shooting light at it, having it bounce back, and, and then we, we read that. It... What happens in physics? It's called it like the wave collapses into one state. So it's it's in many states, and then when we look at it, it turns into one state, um, which is crazy and insane if you think about it. Because a particle, in a way, knows when it's being watched, um, and of course, like it knows that because when we're observing it, we're shooting light at it, so it's interacting with the light. But it's it's still a little bit like bizarre that this particle. Um, knows when like some conscious being is looking at it and then it's going to collapse. Okay, so I, I've definitely heard that before. But one question that arises for me right now is like, when we're talking about like collapsing the wave function is like, how do we know that the wave function is not collapsed before we observe it? Because like in order to see what, that it's in, in fact in multiple states, wouldn't we have to like observe it first? Mm, yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I'll, I'll try to answer it. So again, it kind of goes back to the math. Um, the reason we come up, came up with this whole like paradigm, this whole system of, um, a wave that is comprised of a bunch of other waves and then collapses is because that's what the math says. Um, the math itself is partially derived from experiment and partially just due to like mathematical concepts that you prove specifically in math, like, like the simplest one being like, you know, one plus one equals two, but, but mathematicians, um, have proven theorems and then physicists have done observations on the real world. You put that together and the math suddenly starts saying that we have these wave functions and that's how they work. That's crazy. Okay. So kind of going back to like the idea of the unified quantum field, like it's kind of like a medium within which all exists right it's like the like it's not space-time it's that which within which space-time appears is that correct and then there's 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 one field it's a unified thing so obviously we have like separate things that that arise maybe like separate particles or waves that that arise within this field but if uh, not, not only are they arising within it but they're made out of it right it's like it's like they are manifestations of the field they, they are localizations of it and we are also localizations of, of the quantum field like i think when we talk about the quantum field there's almost this inclination to to uh, just it built in the language that it's separate from us that it's some, something out there that we're observing but like we are the quantum field come become conscious and it's like we're like talking to each other it's the, the field observing itself yeah. and having a conversation with itself yeah there's um there's a saying that I love which is a physicist is an atom's way of thinking about atoms. It's just kind of what you're saying. Like we are we're atoms that are currently talking about atoms. Um yeah. Yeah, so I 100% agree with you. I think that I wish I wish I knew more about this because um it's all I know is that <laughs> there is such a thing as like quantum field theory and and it 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 does say that there is a field everywhere in space and that particles come out of it but 
I, I just, I, I can't explain it further than that. Again, that's like, that's like graduate level stuff. Maybe one day. Yeah. This kind of conversation just like scratches all the itches of my mind. Like I literally feel my frontal cortex is like hot because it's like working so far. Yeah. So given this, like, what do you think is the significance of this? Like we were kind of talking about like the frustration of not having answers of, of continually gaining knowledge, but having no questions answered. And so do you think that this provides some sort of basic answers or is this just another turtle? I think it's always another turtle. However, it does provide some comfort for me. Like what I mean by it's another turtle, like there will always be more questions. I suspect that's the nature of the universe that it doesn't matter how deep you go. There will always be like more to discover. And who knows? Maybe that's not true. Maybe it's the case that you actually start to learn fundamental truths about the universe and eventually you can like simulate an entire universe because you understand it perfectly or like break out of this universe. And maybe once you know everything, that's like, you know, you you return to like godhood. You return to like being a creator rather than just a participant. Hello, crying baby. I love it. So... I do think there's a significance to like the quantum field being the substrate within which the universe appears. And for me, it provides comfort because it shows that everything is actually one thing, that everything's actually not separate. It's not like it's like you, you and I are actually not totally separate. Like on this level, of course, you're a person, I'm a person. There's air between us. But all of this, like everything that could possibly appear is the quantum field. It's a manifestation or an expression or a localization of the quantum field. So for me, that's just, it's extremely comforting because I see like, wow, I'm actually everything. You know, some people see a picture of like the sun and they see a picture of the earth. And so there's, it's so tiny. And they're like, I find that so scary because I'm so small, but I I don't, I don't feel small. I feel huge because I, this provides me the understanding that like, wow, I'm actually, I am actually the universe. I'm actually the quantum field. Yeah, that's it. What what do I mean by I am the universe? Well, I think I am the universe in the same way that the leaf of a tree is, is the tree. Like we are a, we we come out of the the universe, right? Like we, we are, Um, a piece of it like in the same way Alan Watts says like in the same way a tree fruits the universe peoples it it, it like bring you know just by its nature it brings up more complexity and people come out and I think this body that I am this consciousness that I am certainly it's not separate from the universe there is no like distinction between between me and everything else so for me it seems like consciousness is like or, or any conscious being any human is like a people through which the universe experiences itself so you're it you know like we study the universe as if it's outside of us as if it's other than us and that's useful because we can create models by uh you know by kind of getting ourselves out of the equation but we shouldn't forget that we too are are part of that and we're actually studying ourselves so yeah, that's that's what I mean. We we are the universe experiencing itself. Yeah. What do you think? Um, a couple things. Um, first of all, I 
Well, actually, no, let me, let me, let me address this first. So I think that it's interesting that that's comforting to you because I think that it's very easy to be afraid of that. I mean, nothing's making you special. Nothing is, um, immaterial. Like you're just, you're, you're like everything else. And I think, and I'm not saying that that's, that's, that's my, my opinion. Um, I, I agree. I think that it is comforting in a way. Um, but I'm curious as to why that's comforting to us and would be terrifying to somebody else. Cause I'm, I'm, I know that there are people who are terrified by the idea that, you know, all that exists is just the universe and, and there's nothing like outside of it or greater than it. And it's, it's, it's all just, you know, the matter in the universe. And so I don't know, it's just, it's interesting to me, like that our interpretations of this very obvious fact can be so different. Um, and then I just thought of another quote. I have a lot of quotes. Um, I collect quotes and I love them. And so I just thought of something else that is kind of relevant, somewhat relevant to this. There's this old proverb that basically says, Um, so there's this proverb that says, be humble for you are made of earth, be noble for you are made of stars. And that's kind of what, what it's like the two interpretations, right? Like be noble because you are part of this vast, unknowable thing, but also be humble because you are like everything else. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, um, just food for thought that quote, but yeah, I guess my, question to you is um why is that a happy interpretation why why does that why why doesn't that scare you i think these musings are indeed terrifying for those who are identified with their egos we'll let this helicopter pass thank you helicopter this idea that everything is actually one thing will be terrifying if you think that you are this little person inside your head. If you think you are a separate self, then this is going to be scary for you. Because when you die, that's it, right? Because you're going to die and you're no longer going to exist. But the reason I find this so comforting is because I increasingly so I am discovering that I'm not actually this collection of thoughts or this sentence in my head right so Zen Buddhism is it's like recognizing your true nature as that which observes everything even even your sense of self right so that's why they say the ego is an illusion so I find this comforting because it shows that what I am really will never die Eric oh, the universe if, if the universe dies that's a whole other story but Eric will die, but I don't, on one level, sure, I'm Eric, right? As a person, I'm Eric, but as, but I think it's, it's good to identify more as, as the universe or, or I guess it's comforting because this person that you think you are will die, but it, you'll, your energy will return back into the energy systems. Your organic matter will be recycled by the fungi and become flowers. And in that way, when you identify as the universe, you are eternal until the universe dies then in, in, in heat death and then we're all screwed. But 
yeah, it's like, if you think you're an ego, then when you die, that's it. But if you think you're the universe and you're just momentarily localized in this body, then when you die, you just go back into the energy systems to be recycled. I think that's really cool. And I, sus- I suspect that's why people who are really in tune with that idea and that, that identity, not as a person, but as, as consciousness or as the universe, like yogis, for instance, these people are so in tune with death. Like there's been so many cases of yogis literally saying like, this is going to be my last talk. And then after the talk, they have a heart attack and die because they, they just know it. And they, they have no fear about it because they, they don't identify as this person. They identify as, as the greater systems and they're just ready to, to return back to. Interesting. Okay. Um, well, I have some questions, but it's going to pivot away from uh, physics, Please. if that's okay. Um, so how <laughs> I think that what you're describing is what you're describing is is in a way like a um a belief system. Like you can't think your way into it. You can't like logic your way into it. And actually I might be wrong. Maybe maybe that's that's how you came to feel this way, but to me it's like it's more of just an intuition that you I just, I don't know where that perspective comes from because it's not provable, you know, it's it, it just like what you're describing is, what is it you're describing um, a philosophy of existence that is based on like feelings and intuition and just this sense of being one um, and I don't, and we were literally just talking about how that is sort of tied to physics, but I, I still don't fully see the, I guess, connection between, yeah, like us being made of matter and everything else being made of matter. Like it just, it just everything does feel separate. Like we feel separate from, from everything. And I don't know how people are able to make that leap into feeling connected because it at least for me it's like very not intuitive like you grow up or like you come you you're born and then like you realize you're conscious and in realizing you're conscious like you realize you're separate from everything like that that's in a way what consciousness like is to me that that's how I would describe it and so I'm just curious about like how to I guess reverse that process as a um, fully conscious being um, because it you can't like think your way out of it so you have to kind of just yeah use your intuition but this is but what you're describing isn't intuitive to me does that make sense yeah I feel you Um, how to get back to that perspective because it's like you know ideally you'd want that perspective of like uh, sure, I want I want a philosophy that's comforting. I, I don't want to feel so separate to everything. But how do you get there? It seems like that's what you're asking. For me, this is not merely based on intuition and, and emotion and, and feeling. It's like it's like this is what I've learned about the natural world and learning about the cycles of the world and learning about physics. It just makes me realize like that's a conclusion: is you are everything. You are one with everything. Everything is actually one thing. It's one unified field. 
everything that we see, it's apparently multiplicity. It's apparently multiple separate things. And on one scale it is. But we know that all of this is appearing in this one unified field. So in that sense, we are one. And I mean, our atoms, of course, these are, our bodies are constantly being recycled at the atomic level. And the atoms we had even five years ago are not the ones we occupy today. And there's this constant constant transformation of matter, even within your body. Um, we think that we are these separate selves. We think that we are these things that are independent from the world around us. But I mean, this just breaks down. Like even if we look at things, look at cellular respiration, like the way the atmosphere interplays so, so crucially in the, the, the energy production of your cells, like oxygen going through the electron transport chain in cells and, and allowing you to make ATP. Like we're actually quite porous as humans. And we're actually, the boundary between us and the, and the, the atmosphere even is also quite nebulous. And I think fundamentally, everything is one quantum field. All of this information that exists is appearing in this one unified space. So even if between me there's between me and you there is uh, air particles, the air particles, your body, my body, the world around us is all this 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 field. We're all the field. So on that scale, we are one. So for me, it's not it's not merely like an intuitive, um, emotional thing. Although that is certainly um, a, a similar aspect which I can get into if you'd like um, it's it's where all of our science is pointing to it's pointing to this this unified thing when we describe the universe like you know we, we have separate classes and separate fields of study just because you know it's, it's good to categorize things for the human brain human mind but what we're studying is not separate things we're studying this one thing and that is the universe so of course, everything is one. Of course, we are. We are of that one. We're not separate. We're not this separate little personality that that we've made up somehow uh, in a vacuum, wherever while the universe does its thing. We are the universe, and for me, that idea, that philosophy, and science are inextricably connected. Mm, interesting. Okay, I need to. I think. I think I need to amend what I said then, because I do agree with you. That in the physical sense, it's all the same, right? And yeah, you make like an interesting point, like the atoms which currently make up my body. Uh, actually, in a, like the atoms currently in my body in the future could be in your body, right? Like there's, there's literally like an interchange. They could like go up into the atmosphere and uh, yeah, the carbon dioxide I breathe out could just, uh, hell, it could like escape into space, right? And end up on Mars. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> like... Yeah, there's there, there there really is just a con. Like I, I love what you said that we're very porous. That's true. That's true. In a physical sense, we're very porous. Um, I don't see evidence of that in the realm of consciousness. We are one with everything in a material sense. I can get behind that, but I think, and this is probably because we don't fully understand consciousness yet, but. I don't really see a lot of evidence of that if we're talking about the way we identify in our minds. Because, I, yeah, like our, bo our bodies are part of everything, but our minds are, and this is kind of what I was saying, that consciousness in a way is like isolation. It's, it's like individuality. Um, 
because while the atoms from my body might one day end up in yours, the thoughts in my head aren't going to migrate into your head. Um, you're, you're smiling. Do you, do you disagree? I, well, well, I think this very conversation is evidence to the contrary, right? Or, or it's, it supports that okay. your thoughts through language enter my head. Like our minds, I mean, and this is, this is the beautiful part of conversation. It's like we, we explore and, and we learn about each other's uh, ideas and, and philosophies. Our minds too are porous. Like we can exchange ideas in the same way bacteria exchange genes, right? This is where Richard Dawkins brings in the idea of memetics. Memetics as a, as a cultural counterpart of genetics, right? Genetics are like units of biological information. Memetics, memes, are the units of cultural, ideological information. So in the same way that, you know, we exchange, let's say, carbon dioxide when we breathe, like we, we breathe the same air, we, so too do we exchange thoughts. So this, this world of mind, this world of consciousness is actually in the same thing. It, it's also this one big soup right the soup of ideas like what what i'm speaking right now is literally my thoughts this is exactly what i'm thinking and language is the mechanism by which my thoughts enter your head when you read you are reading somebody else's thoughts what we're we're just what what this shows it's like this is one unified mind space and you're a localization of mind i'm a localization of mind but we get to explore the same same mind space the internet is an extension of that that space Right? It's this like, it's a space that we all share. That's kind of like a, an extension of our brains almost. Yeah. That too is, is um, a connection of our consciousness, a connection of our inner world, right? Because our thoughts can enter each other's minds and we kind of experience the same things. So not only is our bodies por- our bodies porous and part of this like one big quantum soup, so too are our minds such a cool point um my that that's a that's just a really cool point i'm gonna think about that um but here's the thing here's the thing i think that um i'm gonna make like a claim here based on no evidence but i'm gonna i'm gonna make up statistics i think that it is possible to maybe using the mechanisms you talked about reading talking writing etc to share like 0.5 percent of yourself throughout your life i i just don't think that you're right these mechanisms exist but sure we're porous but but we're not like we're not we're like semi-permeable you know like we're we're there's not that much that can really we only have a few pores I think. Um, and because language, because writing, um, communication and so on and so forth is, is really, um, incomplete and is actually, I think pretty bad at describing our thoughts. We can like maybe share, okay, I'll bring, I'll bring it up to 1%. I think we can like share 1% of ourselves accurately. And so because of that, I, I still would say that we are separate because we, we do have the ability to exchange and kind of like grow together and like share in this, um, like unified space, like mind space that you're kind of talking about, but we're also like highly localized too. I think we're more localized than we are part of the same thing. So, hi, by the way. What about when we have something like Neuralink, when the language barriers of communication are thinned? What does that make us? 
So uh, let me, I, I think I'll, I'll kind of bring in that point and synthesize it with what you're saying. I agree with you. I think you're definitely right. Our modes of communication are clunky and incomplete. And all of the activity that's appearing in my consciousness right now, it, I, I, there's no way I can express it through language because you lose information. But I think even, even one half of a percent that can be expressed shows that this is that we're not separate that that are this is actually one one mind space that we're sharing so okay. but let's take it back a little bit like before we had language and writing we were just grunting let's say and your inner world and my inner world were even more more separate we can say but it seems like as our abilities to communicate improve evolve that this separation starts to diminish, right? It's, there's no doubt that our level of conversation right now and our ability to you know, use the English language is more sophisticated and more of a scalpel than grunting was you know, uh, half a million years ago. This trend's going to continue. You know, we're already seeing things like, as Aaron said, Neuralink, which is like, uh, we, we can imagine a reality in which all of the information that's entering your nervous system and all the information that enters mine appears on the same screen. So I not only do I experience my nervous system, I experience your nervous system at the same time. So there's this trend towards your inner world and my inner world colliding and actually becoming this, this one unified thing. I think that shows that this is, actually, this isn't actually separate. You know, your mind, my mind, they're not, they don't live in a vacuum. They're very porous. And this conversation is, is evidence of that. I think it'll be similar to how octopi communicate between one another. So the way they talk to other octopi is by changing their shape and they mold their shape into a certain shape and the other the other octopus recognizes what it is saying. And their language isn't learned in like culture. They don't have to, you know, be cultured and learn their language and go through a development of learning their language their language is already within their genes, right? They already know how to mold their shape. They already understand exactly what's being told to them. So that's kind of the step we would take, like. So I think we're like really on the same page. We were just using kind of, because when, when you said um, everything is one, I agree with you that everything has the potential to be one. I just don't think it is. And because it currently isn't, for me, that's that's the definitive statement that we, we are not part of the same mind space, kind of as, as you've been calling it yet. Like, we, we probably have the potential. Like, yeah, like Neuralink, what is it, uh, brain-computer interfaces and brain-brain interfaces. Like, I think that we have the potential to open up unity through technology. Absolutely. 100%. Um, I guess this is just, I guess our disagreement was like really semantic then because to me that means that we're not there yet so we're, no, clearly we're not there yet and that means that we this this space it hasn't been created yet we, we, we need to make it um through through our technology um so i guess i guess we agree <laughs> is my takeaway yeah i think we agree i think it's um well we're, we're talking about like Increasing complexity, essentially. You know, when we, when we describe Neuralink and, like, new technology that's going to allow us to, like, interface with each other's minds more truly in a, in a way that's, that's more uh, with higher fidelity, 
right? Where information isn't lost through the clunky tool that is language. What we're describing is a trend that's been going on for since the dawn of life. We started off as prokaryotes in Earth's oceans 4.6 billion years ago. And we realized something. Holy crap, we work better together. And prokaryote, one prokaryote entered another prokaryote and became a symbiotic relationship. And the eukaryote was born. And then the eukaryotes mingled around for a while. And they're like, holy crap, we work better together. And they united and then we got the multicellular organism and then the multicellular organism mingled for a while and then it's like holy crap we were better together and you got the social organism and now we're here today it's like you are a collection of trillions of cells and all of the information of your cells are appearing in one space that is your mind right if we were to take one of your cells it would be having its own experience you know, it, it takes information about its, about the world around it, and its experience would be appearing on one screen. But it seems like as the prokaryote becomes a eukaryote, now it's not two prokaryotes in, experiencing by themselves. Now it's like a, a higher consciousness is created, a higher mind, right? In the same way that when all of your cells come together, the, the mind of Sandra comes, comes uh, online, right? And now we find ourselves here. We can think of ourselves as two different cells. Like you are one cell. I am one cell. Humanity is a bunch of different cells. And when we unite, perhaps not physically, perhaps digitally, we will create a higher consciousness, right? That is the space within which both your consciousness or your, your neural input and my neural input appears. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I, yeah. How um, crazy is that shit? How what? How crazy is that yeah. shit you said? Yeah, super crazy. Um... Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, um, like, that's certainly a possibility. And actually, if, if anything, I think that, I think that it's, it would be, it would be a good thing. I think that, um, I want to think that a lot of our problems could be solved if people communicated better. So improving communication is just imp improving the quality of human life um i have a question for you mm -hmm. so it seems like when the prokaryote enters the other prokaryote and becomes this higher thing the eukaryote both the prokaryotes lose their identity and sacrifice it for a higher identity so i know we've been talking about individuality a lot and how that's something that's kind of important to people and to you and to myself as well i think you know individuality is important when we talk about becoming like this, these, the same mind, what happens to our individuality? And, and what, what do you think? Does that kind of freak you out? How do you feel about, about that? Would you want that to happen? Or would you want to be, you know, stay, stay a Sandra? Mm -hmm. Well, I guess it depends on what exactly that is going to look like. Because let's just take two people. Let's say two people are completely able to meld their minds. Does that mean that they are simultaneously feeling two sets of emotions? Or does it just mean that they have the ability to access the other person's emotions and thoughts and feelings should they choose to do so? Do you? What is it? What's that saying? Like the, the, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. So it's that kind of same thing. Like I think we would become, we are contained within it, but we are not it. And we're just like, I don't know. Yes. And, and it seems like, what we see is that 
like what would happen to our individuality? The answer is that it becomes part of this greater whole. The DNA of the prokaryote and the second prokaryote is not, it doesn't go away. Like it's still very much, it's part of, it, it creates the genome of the, of the eukaryote. So I think our individuality would like on some level still be there, but I feel like our minds would cease to exist and there, and it would it'd become one mind. Yeah. yeah. But that, that's assuming like that, that is assuming that we are, that this is not like a voluntary state. Cause I think there's like, there's like, there's two separate things that could possibly occur. Oh, okay. There's, there's like two separate things that can occur. Um, one is like a, I guess a lower form of, bonding which is like voluntary i guess i guess it depends on whether it's voluntary or or not in any given one given moment you know yeah so does a prokaryote voluntary care if it turns into a eukaryote right there's no stopping it like whether it was voluntary or involuntary it happened so what's cool though is that particle that that uh prokaryote it's still exists it doesn't cease to exist that niche is still available within the physical world just another niche becomes available and another niche will become available for humanity and there will still be a need for the physical world there will still be the physical world we'll just have access to like forgive me for this language higher dimensions or alternate realities something i like what you said that the species below are conserved and I think that gives us insight into the question of like, what happens to Sandra, what happens to Eric when our minds have now fused, you know, when our minds are now the same thing. It seems like, you know, all the prokaryotes that are the old that were the first organisms ever, they, they exist today, right? Even though their descendants are also around. So I think what you said, Aaron, about like what, what drove them to do it and if it even matters, that gives us insight into... Like, what will drive us to, like, use things like Neuralink? I think in every situation, the these organisms united and became something higher be, out of necessity because it was evolutionarily, uh, it's evolutionarily beneficial to do so. Like, if you're just one prokaryote, moving through the ocean, that's a lonely life. You cannot, it, it's like you have to navigate by yourself. You have to worry about everything you have to eat for yourself all that but if you become if you enter the pro, the, the body of another prokaryote then you, you can specialize and you become like let's say the mitochondria of our cells for those listening the mitochondria in each of our cells was literally a prokaryote it's and now it's like part uh it serves a different function okay so it seems like leveling up gives that organism access to new like what did i write here like access to new resources resources that were not available to him in the level prior like prior but now that he's in that level it seems like it also increases in awareness every time it goes up a level so when you increase in awareness it seems like you get access to other resources because now you have the ability to perceive them it, it's always there we just can't see it and then we'll be able to perceive these new ways of harnessing resources energy can you give an example of that, like of these organisms becoming something higher, be these organisms becoming um, another level, and then as a result of that evolution, 
gaining access to new resources. What is an example of such a case? Uh, well, I think I kind of described that, like prokaryotes to eukaryotes, right? Like the amount of things it could accomplish as a prokaryote, eventually like food runs out there, you know, or you, I don't know, there's a, there's a random mutation and that random mutation just kind of happened to that open that up. I'm not sure um, if I can answer that. Yeah. No, I think that's right. I think that's right on there. And we can also, I, I would also give the example of like, just look at the human brain right now. The human brain has reached levels of sophistication where it can mine ore and refine it into all sorts of metals. It can create circuits. It can create nanobots and robots and edit genes. And all of this was like resources and technological advancement that was only available as a result of this leap in, in consciousness. And it seems like we're in kind of like the, the, the cliff before one. Um, these new technologies are going to allow us to, to um, reach higher levels of awareness. And the pattern we see here is like an increasing level of unity. So maybe that next thing is, is Neuralink and we just start becoming this one unified humanity. You had something to say. Do you still have it? Uh, I do. Yes. It's just um, a, an extra little point maybe adding like a little bit more nuance to this. Um, so we kind of made this analogy of a prokaryote becoming a eukaryote uh, is, is essentially like two people, you know, melding together and becoming something else. Um, and, and I think we sort of made the assumption that that was just like, you know, inevitable, the next step stage in evolution, it was random. It was, it was just something that happened. And then we managed to reap the benefits of it. Right. Um, I don't think we're at that state right now because we can choose to bond with our metaphorical prokaryotes or we can choose not to, you know, the, the prokaryotes then couldn't, it was, it was a, it was like an emergent property of like the physical laws and the soup that they were swimming in. Right. Um, we can, we can choose to upload our minds and we, we can choose not to. And so, so I do, I don't think it's like a perfect one-to-one analogy is just the only thing I wanted to say. It's, it's a little different. Yeah, I think it certainly gets more complex as we get higher. What if with our perception, with our perception, instead of like having to develop it biologically, like some thing along the line mutates and then we get this ability to like become one. What if with our perception, we can do this? So you must allow yourself to perceive that. It's like we talk about it being voluntary. Yeah, it's like voluntary. And I think here and now if we can kind of that's the beauty of the human is like we can shift our way of looking at things and instead of looking at things the way we have been we can kind of choose to like meld into like one kind of thing but i think that's where discoveries are made they have to be on the edge of the unknowing so we have to have like theories as to how the reality actually works because if if we aren't asking these questions then the science never gets done and we're just like running circles and this is something Sean Carroll, who is the, he, he's, a, he's a proponent of the many worlds theory in quantum mechanics. And he's like a professor at MIT. And that's something he talks about, is that there isn't enough money going to this field of the philosophy of physics. We're not pushing the, the, the boundary of physics, the envelope of physics, because we're stuck smashing particles into particles. Instead of testing new theories of like how reality works. We're so locked into the models that like, we think the models we have are the truth. And once we take the models we have, kind of unmarry ourselves from them and start to like look at the world from other ways and really start smashing particles in those new emerging fields or new emerging theories, that's when we're going to make a breakthrough.
So we've talked about so much and like my brain's a little fried. I think, so I, I was at a effective altruism retreat back in February, which is an organization here. And one of the students who was in attendance, he was this fucking wizard from Stanford, second year uh, computer science major. And we stayed up until three, having a conversation, not unlike this one, you know, something that really pushes the edges of your intellect and makes your brain fried at 3 a.m. But one thing that came up was like, you know, we, we talked about this increasing trend towards complexity, this increasing march towards higher order and how we see that, we've seen that since the dawn of life on earth and how this trend will continue. And we kind of made the conclusion that like, it's not going to, the next leap is not going to be biological. It's going to be technology because our technology is increasing far rapid, far more rapidly than is our biology. Or, or, or you're changing and faster. The tech unlocks the bio, too. The tech unlocks the bio, yes. So he just brought up something that was, like, so crazy to me. He's like, what we see, what the trend is here is, like, different localizations of energy uniting to create a, a bigger localization of energy that has higher awareness, right? You are a collection of trillions of eukaryotic cells, and you have the awareness of a human, which is very aware. And... He's like, there is no limit to how much energy can be placed in one system. There's no limit to how much energy can be placed in one system. So he's like, theoretically, we can have a computer the size of the universe. And that's, it's, it's one computer, one awareness. And the, Aaron, you talk about the Eye of Sauron, like from Lord of the Rings, you know what the Eye of Sauron is? That is when you have all of the energy in the universe in one consciousness. What, imagine what that would give us access to. Like, this universe becomes kind of sentient and aware of itself. Like, becomes coherent. As in coherent, it's like live, right? The computer is in coherence. It's firing together as one thing. Now, can it perceive, like, other universes? Or what is it perceiving? Is it just one universe in a vacuum? Or, like, un beyond a vacuum? Like, Or is it just, like, infinite realities that then we could, like, are we messing with time now like are we beyond time like so we're at a we're at an interesting point in physics right in which there's a gap between quantum field quantum field theory and general relativity and we're trying to figure out how do we bridge those so you can correct me if i'm wrong but there's certain assumptions that we make upon which we create our quantum field theory equations or whatever they're called and that gives us a, a, a model that is very accurate for the quantum world but those assumptions are incompatible with the assumptions of like general relativity yes. and so general relativity in its own right in its own domain of the very big scale is also very accurate but these two theories are like two pieces of a puzzle that do not fit together and we're like holy crap there's got to be something wrong here. This is one universe. There should be one unified theory that describes everything. W hence, our our journey towards discovering a, a quantum theory of gravity. Right? It's like it unifies general general relativity and and quantum theory. So, do you know? Do you have more insight into like wh where are we in that in that search? So, I know that recently. Um, 
more and more problems have actually been cropping up with quantum field theory. If, if there is one, if we have these two sides and, and we're trying to like fix one in order to make it fit with the other, the more likely candidate that needs to be fixed is quantum field theory. And, and actually a very like real measurable way. Um, in the last like three years, um, we have, yeah, we've, we've, we've actually made like, um, it, it's not even the math that isn't working out. We're um, making observations that the fe- that the theory didn't predict, right? Um, I wish I could go more in depth, but I, I don't know. We were spashing stuff together and stuff is coming out and it's not quite what we expected. That's the gist of it. Um, and so there's a problem, not just because even these two theories don't match each other, but there's there's a problem within quantum field theory itself because we're... It, 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 especially recently hasn't really been predicting everything it should be predicting. Um, I don't know how to fix it, but it's incomplete for sure. Is that something you're interested in pursuing? Um, what, what, where are you kind of headed right now in your physics career? Um, actually, uh, probably, um, more towards biophysics and actually more specifically this, (laughs) Uh, ironically, this this summer I'm probably going to be working um, in neurophysics. So there's there's like basically this physics professor that uh, runs a lab here at UCLA. It's kind of an intersection between like physics, technology, and like cognitive science. I would say so. It's, it's like using physics tools to understand um, specifically how the brain maps itself in 3D space. Um, so and I would love to do that in the future. That would be the field that gives us mind uploading, right? Like, once we understand the physics of the brain, then we can map the brain. We can, if we can kind of map the brain in a computer, then we can kind of upload, you know, our minds, right? If, if, if we can, you know, get, our, get a mind on ones and zeros, you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I like neuro, neuroscience, neurophysics, all that together, working together. Yeah, I think there's a lot of problems with, with mind uploading. We watched that in a nutshell video. Do you know in a nutshell? Animated like science videos. They have an excellent video on mind uploading, which goes into some of the problems there. Um, but I want to make this valuable for people who are thinking about coming to UCLA and who are interested in physics and who are considering becoming physics majors. What has been your physics experience like as a student here? Uh, and was it what you expected coming in? Okay, so um, me being very, very honest, because I think honesty is important. Uh, the physics major is not this. <laughs> um, it's, it's not, and we kind of talked about this when we first started. It is not about concepts. It's about processes. It's about, like, um, the language. And I, I keep on coming back to this, but it really is the case. Like, it's, it's not about, you know, thinking about high-minded um, it, it, you know, in the end, it gets to that point. But but in your classes, it's not about considering the implications of like multiple universes. Yeah, it's did I carry the one? Did did I use the correct notation? Does this equation make sense? Did I integrate correctly? Um, and yeah, so going back to also what we were talking, like to me, that's where the beauty lies. In the, in the process the, the process is the cool thing for me um and so for anybody that's getting into physics i think absolutely most of us that you know are in the physics major 
we're definitely inspired by this idea of like, I will understand the universe and just I'll figure everything out. And so there, there is kind of like a whimsical, like desire to understand nature and understand everything. Um, but I think that in order to like get to the point where you can make like contribute significant research to actually start understanding things, it's a it's a it's like a it's literally a numbers game. It's like it's, it's can you pay attention to details and can you like um, like not even memorize, but like like yeah, think critically and logically and like and and you have to be like really I think detail oriented. So I would. But that's not to, like, dissuade anybody, like, from doing physics. Like, absolutely, like, if anybody's listening, uh, like, if you want to do physics because you have that drive to understand things, then then do it. But know that you're going to have to hone a very specific skill set to be good in it, you know? So. And that's kind of the problem that Sean Carroll and, like, the people who are the, you know, physics philosophers is most of the stuff doesn't leave the the, the philosophy department. And at MIT, he is the only professor doing philosophy of physics. And that's not to say that MIT doesn't enjoy it, but most everyone's kind of doing like particle physics and condensed matter physics and solid state physics. But by the time you get down to like biophysics and then the philosophy of physics, he says, not much trickles down. So as a student, if you're kind of looking and you really like these concepts, like she said, you can kind of go into it with a lens of you're going to be doing nuanced stuff like numbers, the processes, and then you can apply the, the philosophy mindset to this and then maybe go deeper in that regard. Or you could be a, you could go into philosophy because philosophy, I mean, we're all, not only are you diving to the philosophy of physics, you're diving into the, to, you know, going beyond the processes of human nature and ethics and trying to understand ethics at its edge, you know? So if, if that's your kind of thing, like contemplating deep questions, philosophy is kind of where you want to go. The really nice thing is that we can collaborate, you know, and th- that's and I think that's that's the most important thing you can do. Like we all specialize and then we all come together and then emergent property, like suddenly we are greater than the sum of our parts. And so um, I would also argue say that and this is like pertains to absolutely every major, but like don't just stay in your major, like talk to people obviously in in different majors but also just like in any walk of life because everybody's gonna have something to add um to whatever it is, project or whatever it is that you're working on or trying to figure out those are both fantastic points i think you're absolutely right and to give a kind of creative side of of what you just said it's like speak with other people from other majors you know expose your mind to new ideas and new perspectives and new paradigms of the world and I will also suggest lean into what you want to do. Like if you, what you want to do doesn't exist, like you don't have to do something that, you know, everybody else is doing or that, that, that exists here. Like for me, I changed majors many times, you know, I went from, I was astrophysics for a while and then, and then like cognitive science, I think it came in as aerospace engineering, then like set switch, like ecology. And then finally I settled on human biology and society. But what do I want to do with my life? I want to do this. We, you know, what you said about, we don't do this in physics. I, I've learned that. I know that. And I want to do this. Right? I, I want to ponder the universe and, and like go everywhere and, and apply all of these concepts from neuroscience to philosophy to physics to photosynthesis, everything. I just want to talk about it all. And, you know, that, that's a niche that doesn't exist really. Like may, maybe podcasting does exist and like that's increasingly a, a viable career path. But the point is, 
you don't need to collapse what is truth within your body of like I really love these concepts, but I I need to filter it down to like what 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 is uh, wh- where the the physics movement is at, right? There needs to be a balance between you abiding and using the language of the modern times and using the, the the infrastructure that exists to your disposal right like if you're trying to make changes in physics like let's say you want to be the the guy who breaks out of the universe and enters other universes then you're gonna need to use the physics infrastructure you're gonna need to be have those processes and be really good at it right but don't let that compromise your 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 uh, dreams and and your your um, what 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 is what resonates with you? And I think that's what Aaron's saying. It's like what what we need is people to be unorthodox. The people who break us out of the freaking universe and into another universe, for instance, or make wormholes, the, all this stuff that's like sci-fi. Those are the people who are gonna be a little out there and who are gonna shake things up in in the physics world. Yeah. Was do you have something to say, Aaron? Yeah, that, that's the sure. That, you know, that, that's the beauty of diversity is that, you know, some people can dive into the processes, some people can, can dive into the philosophy, and to, like she said, together we become, you know, greater. Yes, we are all working towards the collective project that is humanity, and that is our civilization. Right? I think before we started recording, you're like, I'm just so grateful for all of the people who put in work and who have led to you know, where we are currently in science, we've inherited so much from 200,000 years of humanity. And we are really just like, what a time to be alive. You know, we could have been in the freaking medieval ages, you know, but we could have had leprosy and like some terrible disease, the, the bubonic plague, no sanitation. They're like shitting in the roads, like throwing their garbage outside their windows. Yeah, buckets of shit out the windows. That's a terrible time to be alive. But right now, like, we have all of humanity's knowledge at, the, at our fingertips. We have this extension of our mind that is the internet. And the technology and the abundance that is here and that's just around the corner is truly fascinating. Sandra, I will ask you, as I ask everybody, what message do you have for the people of Earth? Right? If you had something to say, something that seems to be a recurring theme in your life some source of inspiration or some truth that you've discovered that you want to share with people what is that for you be honest do I need to expand on that sure um Actually, I don't think I can. I think it's a very, very simple statement. I just would say, be honest with others, be honest with yourself. Why? Um, Why should I be honest? <laughs> it's going to make your life better. <laughs> Honestly, I, I think that's, that's the main... It's going to help you out a lot. If you're honest with other people and you're honest with yourself, you're just going to be happier. I would say. I really like that. I think that's that's true. I think a lot of us just by default lie for like little in, in like irrelevant things. And there's no need to. Like if you can just cut out those little stupid lies that don't serve anybody and who, whose counterpart of truth actually is like not that bad, then things will just be better. How can we be more honest? 
I'll get to you in a second. So you you said be more honest and and like be what specifically you said be honest with yourself. I think that's hard for some people. It's hard to to know what's truth for you and and, and to actually act in line with that. So how how can we be more honest with ourselves? I think the first step is being mindful because um if you tell a lot of lies, you you can't tell what a lie is anymore. Um, and and actually, actually, it's no. Even a step further than that, like if you don't know what you're thinking, or you aren't actively trying to examine what you're thinking or like what your thoughts are, then how do you know if it's a lie or the truth that you're telling yourself? So I think the first step is 100% mindfulness. I've I've definitely found this to be the case in my life that. If you want to become more honest, if you want to become uh, more just in tune with yourself, you have to just like pay attention. And I, I just I think the correlation between like mindfulness and truthfulness is they're almost the same thing to me. Like being mindful is being truthful, because once you realize that you're telling lies to yourself and to other people, then I think that you naturally want to stop. So. Being, becoming mindful of your thoughts makes you truthful. So this is something I just wrote down when she brought up lying, right? Because when you lie, you get further from what is true and what is true is what is real. You stray from this reality and you start to live in abstraction and that's the term ungroundedness. You're no longer living in this reality. You're pushing yourself away from this reality trying to cling on to some your version of reality but it requires you to be vulnerable to really feel whatever you're going through and not lie and say you're not okay when you're not okay or or not reach out for help when you're in pain like lies are abstraction lies are literally deception you're deceiving yourself you're not only deceiving others you're deceiving yourself from what is real that was really beautiful what you just said that's really good how do you practice mindfulness for people listening so I, I would agree with you that being aware of your thoughts is fundamental like if there is a tree of self-development and getting good sleep is it would be a branch like um, uh, reading was probably a branch uh, exercising is probably a branch I think the root is mindfulness it's meditation. How, what is mindfulness to you? I guess you've answered that, but how do you be? How do, how can you be more mindful? Sure, uh, meditation. Actually, I think that's like the number one thing for me. And it, it's funny because meditation has never once in my life paid off in the moment. Um, I, I think you probably know what I'm talking about. Like meditation is. Yeah like exercise it's um it's it's something that you do yeah actually no that's a, that's a really good analogy like meditation is like going to the gym and you don't immediately get strong like you work out and then like immediately your muscles increase you also have to then rest and your muscles need to like repair themselves and then you'll become incrementally stronger but it's not like the act of exercising is immediately what makes you stronger and you finish exercising and suddenly you feel stronger and i think that's an important thing to remember because people will like meditate and be like i don't feel better um yeah so i'm yeah i'm sure that like anybody who's meditated um has the same like experience and so um i think yeah definitely 
I mean, I'm sure like all the, all the other things too, like, like you said, sleep and exercise and eating and, and all that. But I think, yeah, mind specifically mindfulness is, uh, related to meditation for me and in a very like time delayed way, like you have to get going with meditation and then you see the effects like months later, years later sometimes. Beautiful. Aaron, you have something to add? Yeah. So here's a little analogy to to how she's, you know, she said that she never really feels the benefits of meditation in the moment. So similar to how you don't feel exercise, right? So exercise is like strength for later and meditation is like peace and equanimity and like XP for later. It gives you like mana. Like in games, when you like break a chest, you get XP. Similar, like, you sit there with yourself, you don't move, you're, you're, you observe change, and you just find stillness, and it's like you're storing peace for yourself for moments to come. And, and when, they need to be, when it needs to be deployed, when your attention is required, when you're faced against an obstacle, you handle it with more peace because you've kind of sat, you know? Yeah, I would agree. It's like, it's, it's fundamental, you know, you, you can be, you can have the best sleep of your life always. You can be yoked, you can be vegan, and all of these things of, of of self development. But if you're lost in thought, that's it. You know, you're you're caught in abstraction. Your thoughts just take you for a whirlwind, and you'll you're probably suffering as a result. So, and logic isn't bad. Just- meditation is it, it, that's that's where you have to start, and that's like fundamental. You know. All right. Well, this is this has been fascinating. I think we, we've talked about so much, like l- life evolving. How Sandra and I are going to become one mind <laughs> soon. All of us, All of us are. <laughs> it's going to be one mind space. We're going to transcend into the next level of consciousness in the universe, where it's one humanity living as one mind, and then eventually there's going to be one computer that occupies all the energy in the universe, um, etc. You've been wonderful. Um, I can tell you meditate just by the quality of your listening and your, your insights and, and the level of conversation. It, to me, hints at a higher level of consciousness, right? Because when we are so identified in our thoughts, we are more towards the chimp end of the spectrum than higher consciousness. So, I mean, meditation, I'm not going to beat a dead horse, but thank you so much for a wonderful conversation. It's it's so awesome. Like, this is how we really have, um, we go deep and, you know, we make new friends. Aaron, any any last words? Yeah, let's give it up for Carbon Lifeforms. Yeah. Hey. You got to represent the Silicon Lifeforms too, right? We're going to get canceled if we don't talk about them. Yeah. All right. That's been it. That's been the Elder Loma Podcast episode 25 i believe we're about a quarter of the way to a 100 26 26 episode 26 i don't know maybe okay thank you so much for listening this has been us the elder Lama podcast on gen steps this is what we do here we talk about the universe we ponder the secrets of the universe from physics to philosophy to mindfulness to zen buddhism to biology and mind uploading and nanotechnology all of it it's all the universe and we're here to 100. So thanks so much for listening. Have a beautiful day. See ya.